There are moments in history when two cultures collide. Christopher Columbus landing in the Caribbean was one such moment. Pandora's box had been opened. This is the story of the Spanish conquest of Central America, but more specifically, a story of two men, one warrior and one priest, with each having a profoundly different experience from this clash of civilizations. I'm Jake Barton, welcome to Historium. Episode 19, The Conquered Conquistador. South Caribbean, 1511. They were too close to the shore. Gonzalo was sure of it. He looked up from his crude attempt at cartography up to the stars. Clouds, just blotches of starless night, moved across the night sky. Gonzalo Guerrero was part of an early Spanish expedition to scout trading routes of indigenous peoples. They were now on their way back to the colony of Santo Domingo. He looked again to the island coastline, trying to triangulate the caravel's position relative to the stars. Below deck, a tall priest by the name of Geronimo de Aguilar tossed and turned in his bunk. Eventually, he gave in, rubbing his weary eyes and getting up. He put on his friar's robes and went to his desk, if you could call two crates a desk. His well-worn Bible lay open there. Next to it were important legal documents from the colony of Darien, located in modern-day Panama. Aguilar was eager to return to Santo Domingo to discuss their findings on the native population with other Franciscan friars. Suddenly, the ship lurched, and the sound of splitting wood ripped through the priest's ears. Water sprayed through the lower deck of the caravel. Shards of timber flew past Aguilar and impaled the sleeping sailor. Gonzalo was thrown 20 feet sideways into a railing before sliding overboard. He plunged into the dark waters, clawing at the straps of his armor as he sunk deeper into the dark. Aguilar sprinted towards the stairs as the water bit at his robes. He stumbled up to the main deck as the ship began breaking apart around him. Everything happened so fast, before he knew it, half of the ship was submerged. Less than a dozen men clung to debris. Gonzalo emerged from the water and filled his desperate lungs with air. The ship was now completely devoured by the warm Caribbean seas. Under the starlight, he swam to the rowboat that a few men were already clamoring into. The caravel had run into a reef, which would later be called Los Viboras, or the Vipers, and would claim many more unsuspecting ships. Gonzalo Guerrero and the Friar Aguilar were among a little over a dozen survivors, literally without a paddle, being dragged by the currents out to sea. The first few days went as well as they could. They ate the few rations that they had managed to gather from the wreck, but by day four, they were out of rations and the situation looked dire. Gonzalo wiped the sweat from his brow. The sun was relentless. He scanned the horizon in every direction, nothing but ocean, endless ocean. Aguilar gave last rites to one of the sailors. The friar had no idea how long the man had been dead. When he finished, he helped roll the man overboard. Dozens of sharks swarmed the corpse. The water ran red with blood. Each day and night dragged on. Aguilar gave a dying man his last rites for the sixth time, as fins continually circled the boat, eagerly awaiting their next meal. By this point, the men left in the boat were in a living nightmare. Their skin was severely burnt and peeling horribly. 
each man felt the numb pain of starvation. Most were severely hallucinating. Fourteen days since the shipwreck, their rowboat made landfall on the Yucatan Peninsula. But almost immediately, they were spotted by a local Mayan hunting party. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. The Spaniards heard yelling in an unknown language. Before they knew it, men with red-painted faces, adorned with bright feathered armor, emerged from the forest. The Mayans yelled as they pointed their obsidian-tipped spears at the now-surrounded Spaniards. Within minutes, Guerrero, Aguilar, and the others were tied up and taken as tribute to the local Mayan warlord. Unlike the Aztecs, the Mayan were never unified as a singular entity. They more resembled the competitive city-states of ancient Greece. Unfortunately for the Spaniards, the tribe that they were taken to was of the particularly bloodthirsty variety. Guerrero and his companions were tied to a single pole and led through the village towards the temple. Hundreds of men, women, and children emerged to get a look at the strangers. Many had large piercings in various parts of their faces. Aguilar noticed many cuts along the arms of the Mayans, presumably as a form of self-sacrifice. They were led to the base of a large stone pyramid. An older man, that Aguilar assumed was some sort of religious leader, examined each of them, muttering something in his native tongue. The Catholic priest would have given anything to understand what this priest was saying. The man eventually motioned to four of the Spaniards, who were cut down and led to the top of the pyramid. The crowd cheered. Gonzalo, Aguilar, and a few others were taken to massive wooden cages and locked in. From the cages, they watched in horror as their compatriots were chopped into pieces on the altar atop the pyramid. The priest then distributed the pieces throughout the village. The villagers promptly feasted on the corpses. Gonzalo Guerrero knew they had to get out of there. Over the next few days, some of the sailors died of various diseases, but the rest were well fed. They were kept in the cages, but were fed large amounts of food in an attempt to fatten them up for another sacrificial feast. A feast that Guerrero and Aguilar did not intend to be present for. We don't know how they did it, but after a few days, the pair escaped. A sailor and a priest sprinting through the wilderness, thousands of miles from home. Strangers in a strange land. Although they managed to escape their captors, they were quickly found by a neighboring tribe, out of another frying pan and into another fire. However, this tribe was a little less bloodthirsty, and instead of sacrificing both Spaniards, they chose to keep them as slaves. By this point, both men had all but given up on ever seeing Spain again. However, Aguilar's mother, back in Spain, heard of her son's disappearance and tales of the savage cannibals on the mainland and never ate meat again, for it reminded her of what she thought had happened to her son. However, her son was still alive and well, well, alive at least. Guerrero and Aguilar served as slaves for several months, but eventually Guerrero was traded to another Mayan lord. When Guerrero was taken away, Aguilar wondered if he would ever see his friend again. He would, but under very different circumstances. Guerrero was taken to the Mayan Lord Nachan Khan. He served as a slave until one day, everything changed. One version of how it changed goes something like this. Gonzalo was traveling with a war party, carrying supplies. By this point, he could speak the language fairly well. Nachan Khan was drinking water from the bank of a river. 
Gonzalo's eyes widened. He sprinted through the bank of the river and pushed the Mayan chief onto the bank. The rest of the warband was furious until they realized that a massive alligator emerged near the bank, right where Nachin Khan was standing before. Gonzalo Guerrero had saved his life. From then on, everything was different for him. He was freed from slavery. Khan offered his daughter to Gonzalo as a wife, and Gonzalo accepted. He became one of the Mayan Lord's chief advisors. Additionally, Gonzalo served as the leader of the tribe's military forces and implemented many European tactics and maneuvers into their overall strategy. Aguilar, on the other hand, clung to his Christian beliefs and yearned for home. He was eventually freed himself and had to decline multiple offers of wives from the tribe. He was still a Catholic and a Spaniard through and through. That's why he was so relieved to hear of a man named Cortez, who was successfully conquering Tenochtitlan to the north. Cortez eventually heard of a bearded, light-skinned man living amongst a tribe to the south and sent a Mayan messenger to retrieve him. Aguilar went with the messenger and met with Cortez, who was thrilled to have a Spaniard who could speak the indigenous language so well. Aguilar traveled with Cortez wherever he went, serving as one of his primary interpreters. Eventually, Cortez and his conquistadors had taken control of a large portion of Mexico. Aguilar mentioned that there was another survivor of the shipwreck, and that the last he heard, he was living in another Mayan tribe farther south. Cortez, realizing that interpreters were worth their weight in gold, sent Aguilar to retrieve his old friend. Aguilar eventually reached Gonzalo's tribe, and was greeted by Gonzalo himself, albeit looking very different than Aguilar remembered him. He was wearing traditional Mayan garb, adorned with hundreds of multicolored feathers. His ears were pierced and he had tattoos running along his face and arms. Despite this, Aguilar embraced him. He said that Guerrero was welcome to join Cortez's forces as an interpreter. Gonzalo replied by saying this, Brother Aguilar, I am married and have three children here, and they look on me as a lord and a captain in time of war. My face is tattooed and my ears are pierced. What would the Spaniards say about me if they saw me like this? You see how beautiful my children are. Go, and God's blessing be upon you. He asked only for Aguilar's rosary beads as a souvenir from his past country. But Aguilar was confused. How could someone choose to live like this, among savages? He pressed Gonzalo again and begged him to return. At this point, Gonzalo's wife and children emerged from a nearby hut and stood alongside him. His wife yelled angrily at Aguilar in her own tongue, asking why a slave was sent to fetch her husband. Aguilar continued to plead with him. He asked if Gonzalo was willing to give up his immortal soul for his life here among the Maya. But Gonzalo would not be shaken. He was a Mayan now, and this was his home. Aguilar hugged Gonzalo for the last time. He began his journey back to Cortez, dejected at his old friend's response and fearful of Cortez's reaction to it. Over the course of the next few years, Aguilar would send many letters to Gonzalo, trying to coax him into returning back to the Spanish. Gonzalo never failed to write back, but was steadfast in his commitment to his new life. Gonzalo Guerrero made his choice, and Geronimo de Aguilar made his. Aguilar faithfully served Cortez until his death in 1531, a witness to countless atrocities 
done in the name of conquest and in the name of the god he served. Gonzalo lived a happy life amongst the Maya. Gonzalo's children are considered to be the first mestizo, or mixed-race children, in the New World. Today, Gonzalo Guerrero is honored as a national icon amongst the people of Central America and Mexico, as he represents the complicated nature of their heritage. In 1532, Spanish conquistadors were surveying the aftermath of a brutal battle with a Mayan tribe. Among the corpses, they found an older, light-skinned man with a large beard. He had been killed by a gunshot wound to the chest. The captured natives called him Gonzalo Aroca, the man who stuck by his choice. But I'd like to imagine that on his body were his friend's rosary beads. Historium is produced by me, Jake Barton. If you're a fan of Historium, follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you would like to donate to help make Historium episodes longer and more frequent, you can do so via Patreon. Just look up patreon.com historium. As always, thanks for listening.